architecture, dance, architecture, dance, architecture, dance, architecture, dance, architecture, dance, architecture, dance, architecture, dance. Hello, welcome to another episode of architecture, dance, architecture, dance. This was supposed to be a newsletter that you can subscribe to at architecturedance.substack.com or a podcast that you can listen to now or a media empire a media empire that you can follow at architect dance on twitter or check out at architecturedance.com and the focus of all that was supposed to be writing about music because Writing about music is like dancing about architecture, as someone once said. But writing about anything is kind of like dancing about architecture, isn't it? Writing about writing, maybe even more so. No one wants to hear a song about a song. So for the second installment of Architecture Dance, I'm not writing about music, but given my lack of experience writing nonfiction about fiction, I'm definitely still hosting a tourist cruise on the Chicago River, doing the stanky leg about the Wrigley Building. Do the stanky leg! Do the stanky leg! Do the stanky leg! This week, I'm writing about a book. And I'm also singing about this song that I made for the theme song using the musical typing feature in Logic. The essay I'm about to read exploded out of me unprompted after I finished reading said book in a single sitting. Like I'm both the lone English teacher and lone student of a private high school somehow more egotistical than Kanye's, who coincidentally recently said he's never read a book. I sent the piece to a couple literary sites which have either already covered the topic or aren't interested in what I gave them. But as a reader and writer of fiction, I've long avoided attempting literary criticism because I can't pronounce it. But I have a newfound appreciation of the form, and I aspire to improve at the challenging craft. So I'm self-publishing this blemished semi-review of Mohsin Hamid's The Last White Man as a document of my stilted choreography. It's not writing about music, but it's writing about something, which tends to be better than writing about nothing, even though no one's listening to this podcast, so it doesn't matter, but just for the record. Also, I mentioned Kanye, so now I've written and talked about music, but let me stop over-justifying unnecessarily and allow me to dance. And I hear the dance flow! I be the stanky leg! Do the stanky leg! For a novel with a heavy theme that's been marinating in Mohsin Hamid's mind since 9-11, when the Pakistan-born author experienced societal erasure of his own perceived whiteness in the US and UK, the last white man feels as pertinent now as ever. The speculative framework of the book is that the skin tone of random white people via some unexplained phenomenon, has begun spontaneously changing to a darker brown hue. The racial identity of white people is, as many characters both in the novel and outside of it believe, under hostile threat. 
capable of changing overnight. Like Hamid's other work, the allegorical approach addresses a complex but pressing societal issue. The skin color changing plague affects his characters in their unnamed fictional country, but reflects the reader's real world. The theme is obvious and overt. You know what you are getting into when you open the book, but Hamid's prose is what causes you, line by line, to think about it as deeply as he has. There are actual weirdos in this actual world who expend actual energy actually worrying about birth rates. Whether it's Elon, Tucker, an economics professor, or a manifesto writing mass shooter. Diving deeper into the accused gunman's white supremacist views, they fit in with what's known as replacement theory, the fear by a few outspoken white people that they're being replaced by ethnic minorities. It is promoted by some cable news personalities and by others who claim they're good people on both sides. Of the purportedly rational call for people to have more babies has undertones that reek of irrational white supremacy. No matter how well the racism is concealed, the stench is as obvious and potent as vomit. So it's hilarious if you think about the amount of energy they spend shouting at anyone who notices the numbers. The Great Replacement Theory, that's racist. Again, I would argue race has nothing to do with this. The numbers tell a very clear story. Americans are not replacing themselves naturally by having children in a country that's increasingly hostile to children and immigration's making up the difference. Why don't we have a right to be mad about that? Being in the vicinity of vomit used to make everyone nauseous, or at least cover their noses and pretend to be. Now, too many people walk toward it, swallow it, then regurgitate it in altered form. A lot of people actually think that white people are going to be replaced, and that that will be a bad thing. Side note, I recognize that the issue of birth rates affects non-white countries, but it's been weaponized by white weirdos in white countries, and also any living person who's worried that other living people aren't creating enough other new living people are, without a doubt, weird as hell. What is the biggest problem that needs to be solved? What, what's the biggest threat to humanity's future or something? Uh, hmm. Well, AI is certainly a, one of the biggest risks. It could be the biggest risk. Um, I think we need to watch out about uh, population collapse. I get it, I guess, but I really don't. The last white man imagines that 4chan's wet nightmare has come true treating the ridiculous premise with an appropriate dose of existential absurdity. The opening line is a Kafka illusion, which I only learned even though I'm familiar with the guy waking up in his bed as a bug in the first sentence of the metamorphosis, uh, but I only learned that from reading other reviews, which I guess shows that literary criticism can have some value and add to the context of reading literature, but I don't know, I'm still trying to justify why anyone would ever want to read or write about writing. and. I guess my attempt to do so here on a podcast with some self-reflective criticism, my criticism doubles as a reflection on the process itself. And I know I should stop rambling like this, but uh, yeah, let me get back to the whatever I was reading. Anders, the main character, wakes up to find himself metamorphosized not into a giant bug, but a brown-skinned man. A series of situations, like encountering random white strangers, having sex with his white partner Una, and visiting his dying white father, throw him into a self-reflective identity crisis. Like the one I had at the beginning of this podcast and during my most recent parenthetical. 
The novel stays close to Anders and Una's perspectives, but also describes the impact Anders' condition, which goes on to slowly afflict the entire fictional nation, until most realize that a darker skin tone is not at all an affliction, has on the broader community relations. There are riots and militias and public suicides and incessant chatter and debate always going on and evolving in the background. Sound familiar? Sound familiar? The Last White Man will resonate with contemporary readers because of this societal relevance, but the questions it raises are unanswerable, or the raising of them will do little to reverse the backward worldview of the average threatened white weirdo. And yet, they're intriguing for this white weirdo to think about. What would happen if everyone suddenly had the same skin tone? Would we finally see each other as human? Would division and perceived hierarchy persist? Is race nothing more than a societal construct? What does that say about Rachel Dolezal or Brother Ali? What does it mean that this book only talks about race from a white-turned-brown perspective? What does it mean about my own identity, that I am reading and engaging with it as a white reader? Our real plagues are far from turning the populace brown. Our society is further still from reaching a point of disgruntled acceptance and deepened interpersonal connection, an impossible distance away from getting along. The overarching theme of race as a construct overtakes The Last White Man, more so even than the theme of migration did in Hamid's 2017 novel Exit West, which had more trackable action and higher stakes. At The Last White Man's foreground is a story about the relationships among Anders, Una, and their respective single parents, but the plot is not what makes this book a rare literary page-turner. First of all, it's short, and could be devoured in a day or two. By the way, I did it in one. Also, Hamid's unorthodox sentence structure, the main draw of all of his novels, once again provides a reason to keep going. Line by line, his fragmented ideas also metamorphosize into essential threads of a thematically consistent lyrical web. Hamid's prose skews in some ways close to Arabic and other non-Western literary traditions. Long sentences American editors might mark up and decry as run-ons, packed with both poetic description and practical action that jumps through time. Take, as an example, the following paragraph, paragraph sentence, I guess, from early on in The Last White Man, where Hamid explores Anders' internal reaction to the way strangers look at him in public after his skin tone changes. In this one long sentence, a lot happens both externally to the character and through clever interjections like, damn it, damn it, inside the character's head. And uh, if there's any lawyers listening, just, uh, you know, don't worry about this, but I'm going to read from the book. When Anders got back into his car, it occurred to him that the three people he had seen were all white, and that he was perhaps being paranoid, inventing meaning out of details that might not matter. And at a traffic light, he confronted his gaze in the rearview mirror, looked for the whiteness there, for it must be somewhere, maybe in his expression, but he could not see it. And the more he looked, the less white he seemed, as though looking for his whiteness was the opposite of whiteness was driving it further away, making him seem desperate or uncertain, or like he did not belong, he who had been born here, damn it. And then he heard the loud continuous horn of the car to his rear, and he started to move past a signal that had some seconds ago turned green, and the woman behind him swerved to overtake, and rolled down her window and cursed him, furious, cursed good and hard and sped off, and he did nothing, nothing, not shout back, not smile to disarm her, nothing, like he was mentally deficient, and she was pretty, real pretty, or had been before she shouted. And when he got home, he wondered how he would have reacted, how he could have reacted, 
if there had only been some way for her to know he was white, or for him to know it, because suddenly, and there was no hiding from the full weight of this, he did not. Damn, that's a long paragraph. Damn, that's a long paragraph. But it's also pretty damn good, damn it. That paragraph is one example of many in which Hamid uses short bursts of description to offer insight into a character's psychology while also dissecting the novel's main themes. In this paragraph sentence, Anders gazes at his changed face in the mirror, stalls at a green light, and then chooses not to react to the road-raged woman who passes because he's unsure of his own identity. Even these small actions hint at the traits of the character without abandoning the exploration of the larger idea. Within one extended sentence, Hamid presents the reader with simultaneous messages. Race is a societal construct, and here is how that affects this character, and probably you, the reader. If you, the reader, don't want to think about any of that, you can just appreciate the craft of his prose. The style is reminiscent of Rawi Haj, the Lebanese-Canadian writer whose works like De Niro's Game and Beirut Hellfire Society favor long sentences punctuated with commas rather than separated ideas utilizing periods. This form of writing goes against all American English class conventions, but more closely mimics the natural speech of oral storytellers. It reads like a song, like a transcript of the best freestyle you've ever heard, before you realize the MC is pulling a different type of magic trick, and is instead reciting a pre-written verse over a new beat. Hamid isn't going full Kerouac and writing off the top of the dome, but he has sequenced these lines and sentences the way an omniscient mind might have thought them. Depending on who's reading, The Last White Man could either be a short but powerful rumination on race couched in a simple character-driven family story with a little light romance for the literary fiction crowd, or it could be a horror novel for unhooded, brain-poisoned neo-Nazis. As much as the indirect but implied opinions of Hamid and most of his readers will align, the book is more a meditation than manifesto. It explores important themes relevant to the author, the reader, and everyone, especially at this moment. This lofty thematic exploration is prioritized at the expense of what could have been higher narrative stakes and tension. There could have been more of a plot, but Hamid doesn't need a compelling story to keep people reading. It's enough to pontificate along with them about racial identity, or to marvel at the re- marvel at the refined technical precision of his sentence structure, which is a lot tighter than my podcast structure, and the length of which should never work but always does. More than two decades into his career as a published novelist, with as much time spent considering the ideas discussed in The Last White Man, Hamid is writing at the peak of his undeniable ability, from his zoomed-out view of race to the granular details of his long-ass sentences. The theme is relevant now like it was 20 years ago, and good prose always will be. And good podcasts are, am I right if you're listening to this 20 years from when it was released? Thanks for listening. Next week, we're talking about Meryl Streak, Death to the Landlord. Thanks for listening. listening. Architecture. Dance. Architecture. Dance. Architecture. Dance. Architecture. Dance. Architecture. Dance. Architecture. Dance.